Welcome to the Choya Needles Show. This segment was recorded on October 12th at the Art Tours in the afternoon at Ava Montville's house. The speakers and moderators this hour are Lauren Henley and Jonathan Mall, and special guest was Eva Montville herself reading a little essay she wrote about her sculptures. So sit back, enjoy the sunshine and the birds, and love life. My poem is about the Salton Sea and growing up in Joshua Tree and Landers with that familiar smell of the Salton Sea uh, sort of infiltrating uh, everything that uh, you do and that you love on, on days when the Santa Ana winds are blowing. I've done some research about uh, the Salton Sea and actually what a huge problem it is and how it's not being taken serious enough. Um, a lot of people are suffering from the toxic dust clouds that are rising up from the Salton Sea and um, unless we really turn our attention to it, it's going to be a, a, quite a problem. Here's my poem and it's in sections. It's called Corpse Wax. Headline. Boneyard beaches littered with dead tilapia line the shore of California's Salton Sea. You can't unremember it. Once you've learned there is a term for a stench that invades, all at once and from every horizon. And here you've been living dead center, sweeping and dusting the lowest point of a bowl, ash, feldspar, bone. Decomposed tilapia flesh, corpse wax. Say it, read on. Balls of it the size of kumquats. Scraped it off our shoes with putty knives. The Santa Ana winds bring such offerings, the way cats bring the jaundice yellow noodles, the dark plump beans of entrails to the door. Yellow is, be careful. Another declares, the dead have returned. All day, it is corpse wax, eating your last potato, trying to paint a realistic avocado, taking out the hot pink curlers, tendrils fainting under the threat of corpse wax. Your lungs are now full of it, your uterus full of it, Everything within you that contracts is weighted down with droplets of corpse wax. Even the dog who rests his nose on the hard pillows of cat turds and lingers over the carcasses of mole rats is oppressed by the dirge of corpse wax. The cat gives the red plumage. Red is the air will melt us like rocket pops. The wind gives reek. The doctor gives existence a rigid shell. Headline, toxic dust and asthma plague Salton Sea communities. Photos of a young girl, the mask of a nebulizer strapped across her round face. 
Ten years have passed since the dead returned. The girl born in the year of corpse wax, her chest baptized in corpse wax. Her school is in a farming town a few miles from the sea. The school near the sea uses flags to mark safety. Yellow is be careful. Orange, if you already can't breathe, the dust outside will take you in its shawl, wrap you in infinite garments. When you say enough, it will be the longest hug. Here is California's once glamorous lake. The air is laced with what the lake has left behind, insecticide, arsenic, fertilizer. Lace can be glamorous, bobbin, torchin, chantilly. My lady, here is your wedding ring shawl. Needle us an appropriate motif, a playa that lifts into the air. A ragged red flag waving at the children. Red is for everybody stay in. Red waves like the hand of someone cloaked by fire. The family dog has cancer. Baseball practice long since canceled. Mother lost her job at KFC. Green means the children can play outside like real children. Green is the color that happens as a bit of luck between yellow and blue. The first child that catches sight of a green flag squints twice, makes sure, then runs back to tell the others. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Nature exposes the process of rebirth, forever unfolding, revealing beyond hard material, a core, secret and vulnerable. Fluid folds belie the medium, inviting warm touch, offering deeper discovery, spiraling, connecting, inner and outer eternally dancing, the creator no longer distinct, Metaphor becomes the language of relationship. Fair to call it that it wouldn't be nice, would it? What? I was gonna call it an antique poem. An antique <laughs> it's fifty yeah, years like old. Me. Yeah. Yeah, I am, uh, but again. But it's still well, <laughs> Yeah, I'm, it's, I'm an antique, so if I remember when like I was young, it must be an antique. It's still this was written when I was 18 years old. I grew up out here in the desert, and I, I moved into the city, got married, graduated from high school, got married, and moved into the city for two years, and absolutely hate the city. Uh, and I was sitting out on my front porch one day looking out and seeing nothing natural, you know, concrete and asphalt and glass and steel. And I just thought, what if the earth got so pissed off <laughs> about what we're doing to it that it rose up and took revenge on the humans? And so that's what this is. It's called The Earth's Revenge. Uh, 9669 is when I wrote it, and it's not my best work. <laughs>
We're little, still affecting our uh, lives. A so. little trite. Yes, a little trite. Well, the, the rhyming to me is trite, but anyway. The Earth's Revenge. Rise up, my frail little flower children. On human corpses you'll dine. For I, Earth, have no ending, and I'll claim what is rightfully mine. You've scarred my body with cities and streets. You've bloodied my hands with foolish wars. My leaves will cover your sacred asphalt and dirt seep up through your shiny floors. The paint will crack on your wooden castles, grow roots and prosper once more. You'll be driven, screaming and naked from your hiding place behind the door. The cars you prize will rust and decay and return to me once again. My body repaired, my children will sing and whisper the myth of the murdering men. Rise up, my frail little flower children, on human corpses you'll dine. For I, Earth, have no ending, and I'll claim what is rightfully mine. And now it is. Even more true now. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. This is a little memoir I wrote. It's called Fuck You, Dad. <laughs> I don't see why that's funny. <laughs> no, this is from a... Um... <laughs> no, it is funny. It is funny. Rich is like, please don't scream into my podcast. <laughs> You're just going to take this back nice and slow. Um... This is a, a manuscript that uh, deals with the disappearance of my little sister. Well, she popped up again recently, so I have to write more poems. <laughs> Somewhat inconvenient. Uh, this poem is about a coach I had in junior high. It's called The Wrestling Coach. Muscled thighs wide as telephone poles. Not many of us had seen a man like that up close, and so fear, jokes, wagers about the limits of his strength. I could run a quick enough mile. I had grown up with strong men dressed in dark green flight suits who seemed to sharpen their razors against their jawlines. I knew to not hang myself with the words to not speak to these men unless it was their idea. But when my classmate grew a tumor in her brain, Coach took up a collection, shaved his head, wore a tutu over a singlet, complete with headgear, broke his thumb wrestling a metal folding chair for the amusement of the school, to raise money for the medical bills. And when my classmate died, Coach kept his hair buzzed kept teaching us how to sweep the knees, how to shoot in, tap out before your arm splinters, before your vision goes blurry, as black as sleep. Thank you, so was he. I could tell. Right? Yeah, I'll read another one. Why not? This one's in high school. This is not a long one. So this, this manuscript is called Letters to Red. When my sister 
was estranged from the family for reasons unknown to the family, she started going by the name Red. So this, all the, there are a uh, series of poems in here just titled simply Dear Red. And um, nobody's talked to her in seven years, so they're sort of just casting out. Dear Red, do you remember an afternoon in high school when three young men, boys, skipped class, popped cans, lit kites to the air from the middle of the track, a revolution of sugar and flight, to pilot their small power, laughing in public, their truancy from desks and neckties, joked about starting some kind of movement, how, after all, could a person do algebra in a prison yard when the sun was tensing the skin of plastic aircraft painted like a bird of prey a space shuttle, an ice cream truck. The air split open when Buzz sauntered to the field with his walkie-talkie, windshield sunglasses, blazing his stride and blue polo, everything screaming that the police department had not retired from him. <laughs> well, boys, it's a perfect day for deep shit. And Buzz stood, arms at his sides, eyes wandering the sky under his bulletproof glasses. And for a moment, getting caught was the point. Four truants staring at the belly of an Idaho skyline. That one, what is that? An ice cream truck? Give out some slack. Let her breathe. Let her breathe. Um, so I grew up in Joshua Tree, actually, not too far from here, uh, over on Sunset Road. And um, my dad was a police officer for 30 years in this area, which was interesting. I'm afraid to tell you. <laughs> you might know him. David Henley. Very, very uh, muscular, black mustache. I get a mix of responses. <laughs> yeah, probably. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's what you said. Yeah, so he, he's been in the area for, you know, over 40 years, and he still lives here. Um, so this is, this is my 2017 book. I do have a newer book out, but um, this one is called Starshine Road, and actually that's the road I... My parents were divorced, so I grew up in Joshua Tree, but also in Landers on Starshine Road, which goes up past the Moose Lodge. And um, yeah, so I'll, I'll just, I'll read a, a poem or two from, from here and check in with you guys. So I'll, I'll read the first, the first poem. It's called Story. Little child, when you were being made, your father became a wind tunnel. Your mother scattered against the walls, the windows with her cookbooks and tapes. Afterwards, he had to put her back together, one petal at a time. When it happened, conception made the sound of a shotgun fired at close range, though they had expected the reverb of a gong. Then the toothed wheels of her parts, driven by a copper spring. Just think how you must have turned as a water wheel in space. 
Sometimes three hawks sitting on a fence post means what you want it to mean in Victorville, California. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sometimes during the usual months, it is spring in Victorville. You will not find the ordinary nest with the ordinary eggs all speckled and warm, but a half-eaten peach instead. As you would not touch a bird's egg, do not touch the bird's peach. Sometimes we need to be chosen, even though we are a sideways vine with a, vac with a backwards bloom. My father, a cop, a white man, found his second mother. She was the granddaughter of Black Elk, worked citizens patrol in Victorville. She called him my son. He listened to her the way young boys drink water, both hands around the cup, gulping. Seeds in the garden do what they want. Is it a bad seed because it didn't please us? Try to find the sense that is not. You will happen across three hawks sitting on a fence post and take it as a sign. But no, I'm telling you, those are black chickens. <laughs> Yeah, mystery is good, obscurity is not good, right? So Right, I, if it's I, too obscure. If I just start a deer red right there, everybody here is kind of going, what? What's the, right. You couldn't have just told us who red is real quick? Right. It's my little sister who went by red. Yeah. Cool, then we're in, and right. now it can still be mysterious, but I'm not just like keeping you at arm's length. You know, I yeah. want to invite you in so that you can sort of understand the circumstances for the poem, but without trying to explain away any of the music. Yeah. Numbers too, uh, or Roman numerals. What is that? I don't understand that. Um, well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you mean sections of poem? Yeah, sections. like a poem in, in three sections, for example. Um, so here's a poem. It's called Repurposed, and starts off with Roman numeral one, and uh -huh. then goes section two, oh, okay. and finishes up three. So I mean, technically, it's a triptych. Like you could see um, a piece of visual art, a painting or something with three panels mm -hmm, that would, mm -hmm. you know, serve to tell some sort of narrative arc. There's some sort of motion or, or um, change between the panels and also some continuity of some kind, however loosely imagined. So see what you think about this one. The only thing you need to know is that this is about brothers. Repurposed. One, camping on BLM land just north of Lucky Peak, my brother leaned against the stainless roll bar in the back of my pickup, held a double-barreled beer bong as high as he could. Two at a time, the others twisted red and white irrigation nozzles and chugged through acrylic tubes. One of the younger ones botched it up pulled back too soon and shot a piss-colored fountain all over the cracked plastic bedliner of my truck. We drank Keystone and blasted metal. My brother lost his virginity that night in a tent with a blonde or in a truck with a brunette. He rubbed butter on the bright red, on the bright red funnel to cut the foam poured beer after beer, held his hands above his head, reveled in the double bass while the others dragged 
a felled tree to the fire. Two. I sat him down and told him about getting high, what it would feel like in his lungs, how long it would last, how to hold it in, the correct way to breathe. I showed him the pipe, a three-inch length of galvanized steel with a threaded elbow at one end, a repurposed sink aerator for a screen, the whole thing wrapped in black hockey tape. Sitting by the man-made lake at the center of the apartment complex, we sparked bowls and laughed when he singed his eyebrows. Don't worry, if someone comes, just throw it in the lake. It's so heavy, it'll sink to the bottom. He held the pipe loose like he was weighing it, considering the depth of the water. Three. He calls again asking how I've been. He's drunk and I'm not. He says the bastard locked him out, changed the locks while he was at work. He says it's been bad since June, says he didn't see it coming. I listen as the story bleeds into other stories. I pinch the phone between my cheek and my shoulder while I hang damp laundry on a ratchet strap running the length of a crossbeam above my bed. The mattress sinks as I step and stretch, reach up and hook another hanger. He talks about a homeless woman with cigarette burns peppering her arms, says she needs a place to sleep, a place to get clean and forget a few things. His voice, hollow like the shrunken shirts hanging over my head, sounds more and more like my own. So it's in sections, which allows you to jump, but then sort of keep some continuity between the three sections as well. Have you ever wondered why people live in the desert? I'm Dawn Davis, and I host Desert Lady Diaries podcast. It's a weekly conversation with women who found their home in the Mojave Desert. Each week, I talk to women who were either born and raised in the desert or felt called to come here and what the desert means to them. You can learn more about the podcast and listen at DesertLadyDiaries.com. Huh? Sell drugs? Uh, I'm a teacher. We're both teachers. <laughs> That's a drug, too. Yeah. I should probably do something honest, like sell drugs or guns, but I teach. I always tell my students, too, I'm like, I don't care what you do for a J-O-B, the four that are going to exist by the time you hit the job market in our you know, rapidly imploding economy and biosphere. But just don't become telemarketer do something yeah, honest seriously like sell do guns not. to some you know south american <laughs> dictatorship or funnel drugs to al-qaeda but it's don't the CIA, isn't it? yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean that's why i say it's honest you know god-fearing flag-waving work but don't become a telemarketer those people are 